0: welcome to the reframers podcast arguing with friends and fam about politics is hard new plan
1: let's reframe what it means to discuss and disagree by talking and listening to each other
0: we're the reframers hello everyone and welcome back to the reframers i'm erin
1: Hello, welcome back. I am Zach.
2: Hey, everybody. It's Cassie. Thanks so much for being here.
1: And this week on the Reframers podcast, we are going to talk about gun control. This is our first ever revisited for the Reframers podcast. We are doing gun control part two. If you missed gun control part one and you don't mind, um, go ahead, keep on listening. Or if you would like a little bit of a refresher on what we already talked about, you can look us up the gun control part one episode like our third episode we ever published. um, And that might give you a little bit of a background. So thanks for joining us today. We're very excited.
0: Yeah, I'm going to plug that again real quick. That episode will give you a lot of background. And I think we're probably going to reference to it. So if you haven't listened to it yet, maybe go listen to it real quick and then come back
2: here. And this is our biggest, we had people clamoring. I feel dorky saying that. Lots of people personally told me that gun control was their favorite. So we hope that this is, you know, either your second favorite or if you haven't heard it, go listen and then come back and clamor for more.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was, we got a lot of great feedback on it. So thank you everybody out there who let us know that you liked the first one. Um, So this time for part two, we're actually going to kind of be specific and talk about uh, mass shootings, uh, the phenomenon of mass shootings, what can be done in that space why they happen, uh, as well as gun control legislation. So anything ranging from background checks to um, banning specific types of weapons to banning uh, extended magazines, things like that. So there's a wide variety of legislation that's out there and we can't cover it all, but we'll at least talk about some of it here today.
0: Okay. So do we want to just jump in? You know, if we, we sort of covered um, lots of ground actually on like what the founders thought about guns in our first gun control episode. So we're going to skip over that for today and just kind of jump right in. And so one of the big things that we didn't talk about on the last episode was sort of the phenomenon of mass shootings. And we made a point, and I think it's worth emphasizing again, that most gun deaths in the United States, less than 1% of gun deaths are from mass shootings. So it's, you know, we talked a lot about like gun violence and I think that we can still talk about that, you know, when we talk about legislation because that touches other kinds of, of gun deaths. Like obviously when you start talking about gun control, mass shootings is one of the biggest things that first comes up. When we talk about mass shootings, the I think the definition is more than four people injured or, or killed, you know, Zach?
1: I do, Aaron. Yeah. So um, that is correct. So there's, depending on who you ask, but in general, there's a few characteristics that qualify as as a mass shooting. One of those is four more. Another one is it can't be with like any terrorist related things. So if there's been a, a large shooting that is motivated by terrorism, that tends to be discounting, even though it still is a tragedy. Also can't be done in the act of committing another crime, so say you break into a house and you kill a whole family because you were trying to steal their TV, like that doesn't count because it was done while committing another crime. Those are some of the, the big ones that qualify what a mass shooting is.
0: So I think that these these two topics are sort of linked in that when you talk about mass shootings, there's a immediate reaction of, well, how do we stop them, right? And like, what what is it that we can do? to, um, address this like huge and, and super tragic issue. And it's a, it's a particularly big issue in the United States. We have reported in 2017 that the U S makes up less than 5% of the world's population, but has 31% of the world's mass shooters. Like this is a problem that is Fairly specific to the United States, mass shootings happen in other countries, but they happen here a lot, and they happen here a little bit more than they happen in other places. And so, it's worth thinking about, like, what is it that's going on in our society that is like creating the the opportunities for mass shooters? So, I don't know if you thought about that at all, Zach, or, or want to talk about that.
1: A couple of things. First off, um, I think I I've heard that claim that we have the most mass shootings compared to any other country. But that study I found actually is a little suspect. The guy's name that published that study, I think his name was Adam Lockford. And he found like 90 instances in, in his range of, of supporting data, 90 instances in the United States and like 130 or something or 160 in the rest of the world. But there were some problems with his data sets that he didn't account for nations that were like third world nations during the range that he was analyzing data from that Basically, he, he didn't like localize the languages to know if there were something like that. So some nations didn't even record mass shooting incidents back when his like, study was active. So that one is, is actually, uh, you know, I hate to disagree so, so quickly right off the bat, but I don't think that, that that claim of we only make up 2% of the world's population, but 30% of the world's mass shootings is accurate.
0: Okay. The data that I'm looking at is from a 2017 report from the National Safety Security Council Combined with another report from the National Center for Health Statistics, neither one of them mentioned that person's name. So I'm not sure. Maybe there are are just multiple studies on this, but I don't, that's not the one that at least I'm looking at.
1: Mm, Okay. Well, interesting. His study had some problems. So, needless to say, wherever we stand in the world, um, it's a problem regardless. So, I guess we can, Mm -hmm. we don't need to debate that one to death, but gosh your question was, do I have feelings or thoughts on why this is happening? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I do. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I don't think that any of them are, are easy solves. You know, I don't think I can point to guns and say, Oh, it's the guns that are, you know, causing this. Honestly, it's like a, like a cultural and spiritual problem in our country, honestly. And that might take people by surprise. But I think, we as a nation are a little lost. I think we're tending towards like nihilism and, and just this sense of nothing matters. And it's interesting, you see this kind of common thread in, in some of the people um, who've, you know, left notes, you know, the perpetrators of these incidents um, that they specifically say, like human, like the Columbine shooting said, like humanity is not worth saving, like we should leave it to the animals and humans, you know, are not worth being and all this stuff. So I unfortunately think that the problem is one that is cultural and you know even religious. I think like a lot of values that religion teaches are like an anchor in weighing our society down, and I think that as we become like more polarized, we become less religious, we become more maybe materialistic, that we tend to lean towards a sense of like nihilism and nothing matters, and and then you end up with these these incidences, and I think that that is aided by drugs, antidepressant type medication that can cause some really bad tendencies. And then you stir in access to some weapons that are effective and you allow for these terrible, you know, incidents to happen.
0: Yeah. I think that it is worth thinking about sort of the cultural aspects of it. And I think this is, this is something that gets brought up a lot is that the there appears to be some role of the media involved in this as well. You know, the more you publicize mass shootings and give attention to mass shooters, it, you know, in some ways encourages other people to, to follow that and have the same sort of like horrible impact that, that, you know, previous person had, like we didn't have as many mass shootings before Columbine, which was one of the first you know, school mass shootings. And now we've had many since then. And so that, that's that been a discussion too, of like, how do we actually deal with that? You know, we want to report on things that happen, but taking, you know, how do we, downplay in in whatever we became the sensationalism of giving, platforming mass shooters, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's different ways people have talked about it, like maybe don't name them or try not to give like them the attention. And it's, I don't, but that I think is not an easy issue. I'm not sure exactly like what you do about that. I do think that there is, it becomes political really, really fast. We mentioned this last time, like when there's a mass shooting, there are often Um, Increases in firearm sales because it starts, it, it, it immediately becomes, you know, where's our legislation and what can we do next? And it very easily becomes this like really, really big deal thing. And I think, like, in some ways, it has to be, right? Because this is something where like many people die at once. It's, they're like really, really, really terrible situations. So you do have to address it and you do have to deal with it. But I think that thinking more carefully about like how we talk about it in the media, what attention we give to the shooters as opposed to you know the other situations surrounding it and also to the victims might help address some of that but i also agree with you i think there is there are issues particularly with like the the nihilism and um some mass shooters also have been driven by sort of like violence against women situations um there is a shooter in santa barbara when we were in college mm-hmm. who wrote like essentially a manifesto about wow. like how how he hated women for you know discounting him and not paying attention to him but then they became evil you know it was really really tough and i think that it is interesting and notable that many of the people who are mass shooters the vast majority of them are men and mm. i think it's the majority is also white men and so there's something going on with that as well you know we we probably need to address how we talk about and deal with men in our culture. I think there is potentially issues of, of toxic masculinity, of men not being listened to, of like, you know, there's, there's both sides of these things. And I think that there's potentially areas
2: there that we could focus on to help address this as well.
1: There's, yeah, I think there's, that that's those. Oh, go ahead, Cass, go.
2: I don't talk that much. So I assume you look if my unmute comes on. That's my only signal other than... <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think you should wave your wave your big Okay, I'll start, flags. I'll start yeah. bird
2: flagging That's when great. I have something to say. But there's so much data. I'm trying to sit here and look things up as we're talking, and it's almost impossible to keep up. And then I'm I'm seeing one site that says gun violence was up in 2020, and then I see another site, uh, mass shootings are down. So I don't have time to pour over this. But I was trying to quickly look at what Aaron just said: number of mass shootings in the United States by race or race or ethnicity. And this graphic that I'm looking at has between 1982 and May, 2021, 66 white. And then it drops way down, 21 black, drops to 10 Latino, eight Asian, five other, three Native American and 11 are unknown or unclear. So Hmm. just just to give you a little visual there. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you for looking that up. Yeah. That is interesting. It's the vast, the vast majority of mass shooters are are white. And that's, yeah, I'm not a sociologist, right? Like, I'm not an anthropologist. I can't, it's hard. It's hard to like, figure out exactly like what to do with that. But I mean, that's like a huge difference. That, yeah, that is mean, totally worth thinking about.
1: There's a lot of factors involved with this, because it's easy to say the things that are common in mass shootings are, there's many, many victims and number 2 is that they're happening with guns. And that's I think the strongest correlation. But yep. I think that that these and, and the reason why I say that it's a com, you know when I started you asked me this question and I started and said I think it's very complicated is because I don't think that the guns in and of themselves are the issue. You know, keeping it focused on this week's topic because you used to be able to order a gun from a Sears catalog. You know, it was it was way way easier to get guns 30 years ago, 40 years ago than it was or than it is now. And we can get into the legislation, you know, later. But I think that's why I don't think it's just the guns. I think it's all these other factors, right? What is the race of the of the perpetrator? And what messages are we sending as a society to them? You mentioned the media, and I think that that's crucial, right? I think I fully support, you know, outlets not naming the perpetrator. I think that that is, I think, it, an easy first step. And I also think maybe not airing all the, like, intimate details from the cell phone footage while you're there, like, I think it gives a sense of thrill of the kill or something like I don't want to be insensitive, but I feel like for people that are inclined to commit these things, it's like, oh, look at all the fear and panic this is causing. I feel like it it has that that negative effect. And then you mentioned like what you know, what are we telling our boys? I don't know. I mean, one of the things that's very common is that if you grow up without a father, it's very easy, you know, a father figure necessarily, you're way more inclined to end up in the prison system and to commit crimes and So, you know, are we on the one hand saying men are toxic in this country and then also not giving them any like father, you know, role models to look up to, and so you're creating this perfect storm. You know, I'm not a sociologist either, but it feels like there's a lot of factors. And then again, I have to mention the drugs, the mental illness and the drugs are, are I think, I want to say it early because I feel like that's like such a crucial factor is many of these people that commit these crimes are on a pretty heavy dose of antidepressants, which can lead to like homicidal and suicidal tendencies, you know. And they have some form of mental illness, and that's jacked.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes it really difficult to address. I'm not sure about the the father's thing. It'd be kind of interesting to see like what the background is of of these people. I I wonder. I don't. I don't think. I wonder if there's also aspects of feeling lost or displaced, you know, mm-hmm. in what you think the world should be offering to you. I feel like I get a sense of that with some of these sort of manifestos, but that it's, I, I don't know how helpful it is to opine on that. Cause like, we don't actually really know, but they're, you know, they're issues to think about in terms of the connection to guns. Like obviously these, they're mass shootings, right. They're committed with weapons, with guns. And the thing that I always hear that I feel like is convincing to me is you, you can't kill this many people at once with like any other weapon. And, I, and that's like the big issue with, especially if you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong on my gun classifications here, of like semi-automatic, automatic weapons that can shoot multiple bullets like quickly, is if that's correct. And you can kill more people that way than even if you were like running around with a knife, right? Like not that you couldn't do damage with a knife, but it's just not the same level of destruction. And so that's like obviously one of the biggest things when you talk about this.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're you're right, just on a like a logistical basis, that's true. So automatic weapons, if, if people need the refresher, automatic weapons mean that when you depress the trigger of a gun down, it will fire bullets until the gun is empty and you, your trigger can stay down the whole time. Semi-automatic means that for every time you depress the trigger, one bullet will come out. Think of it like, I don't know if you ever ate like a Pez, right? You open the lid to the Pez and one little Pez pops out versus if you had like an automatic Pez dispenser You open up Elmo's head or something and all the Pez come shooting out and go everywhere. So that's kind of the difference between the two. Yeah, I mean, they are more effective than a knife, for sure, you know, or any blunt instrument. But the question is, given all that, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. I'm
2: flapping because I want the the recap of what's not even allowed. Aren't automatic weapons not even allowed, like, full stop? So it's not that that's being used for mass shootings.
1: Full stop, asterisk. So uh, the recent history of federal, because every state is different, and I can't even begin to tell you state by state, but federally, there was an assault weapons ban from 1994 until 2004. And so that banned the AR-15 type platform, which is the most common rifle in use in America today. And AR does not stand for automatic rifle. It stands for ARMA light rifle. It's the the make of the guy, you know, the guy that invented it. It's, it's what he called it. And it was his like 15th iteration. All um, AR-15 style rifles and automatics um, have been were banned by the assault weapons ban. However, even today, automatic weapons, um, as well as silencers or, more accurately, suppressors, and other items, uh, modifications to weapons are illegal to purchase if you go into a store. Now, you can go and get a uh, they call it like a, it's a tax stamp, basically, which in certain states like Nevada, for example, you can go in and you can apply to the uh, ATF basically to do an extended or enhanced check on you and pay a $200 per item stamp to allow you to purchase an automatic weapon. So in some states you can buy automatic weapons or suppressors, although they are extremely difficult to obtain, they're they're very difficult. I would say a minority of people have them. So most of the common weapons that are out there, especially that are done in these mass incidents are semi-automatic, either handguns or rifles.
2: Maybe my question or, or what many people's question is, if if you pull the stats of a mass shooting and they're primarily a certain kind of weapon, does that warrant some censoring or, or removal of this weapon?
1: So um, actually, that's a great question, Cass. And I do have that data. 2019 FBI murder statistics. So this is, I think, when I looked this up, it was the latest that's been available. Maybe they've published 2020 by now. In 2019, there were 13,927 murders. 10,000 of those 10,200 were by firearms, 6,000. So basically like two thirds of all firearm related deaths are done by handguns. And only 364 were done by rifles. That kind of is an interesting note because overwhelming majority of the deaths in the country that are done by firearms are done by handguns and only a few hundred by rifles.
2: I thought firearm was. Like a gun as the umbrella, and then there were things under it. Are you saying that that's different than a rifle?
1: If you look at the bucket that is firearm deaths in the country, there were 10,000, let's say. 10,000 deaths were committed by any kind of firearm. That's rifle, shotgun, handgun. Of all of the bucket of the 10,000, 6,300 were done by handgun, and only 300 were done by rifle. I see. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So, Zach, I know you don't support an AK-47 weapons ban. Maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. And I would also be curious to know if there's any kind of weapons ban that you do support, including, like, restrictions on, like, types of guns.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly, I do support an AK-47 ban. That's a communist gun. We, in America, shoot the AR-15. <laughs> and- wow.
0: AR-15. Okay, can we, like, just a- skip <laughs> up? <laughs> no <laughs> communist gun what does that even mean is it from like i don't know the 70s or something
1: <laughs> it, it's i think the the ak is the like kalishnikov rifle which was developed by russia and oh. <laughs> and like the, the russian military and, and a lot of like the middle eastern countries like that's the rifle that they have that's the gun that has the the magazine comes out and it's like a banana
0: oh that's the one i feel like that's in all the movies maybe it's not but
1: it's yeah. probably the bad guys in the movies have it because usually <laughs> the bad guys are from not here, and so Long's they have the groomer. banana. Yeah. <laughs> Got uh, it. So yeah, I'm I fully support an AK-47 ban. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I I think uh, you know. By the way, I think the AK and the AR can both be um, semi-automatic or or automatic depending on what the deal is. So okay, but in all seriousness, to your to your question, I don't support an AR an AR ban, or more accurately, a semi-automatic rifle ban. To be to be specific, because where we get into a little bit of trouble with talking about weapons bans is a lot of the classification comes down to like cosmetic characteristics of the weapon. And I know I just made a lot of like k sounds. And I'm very aware of that right now. But for example, you can have an AR-15 rifle that is you know black with the foregrip and it has the the rails on it and all the stuff that that you typically see in these incidences. And then you also can have a wooden ranch rifle that is the same weapon. It shoots the same kind of bullet. Um, it just doesn't have the same appearance. So it, in terms of the lethality, one gun isn't necessarily more deadly than the other. And so so to answer your question, no, I don't support an, a semi-automatic rifle ban. I think it's, it's the most commonly used weapon in the country. You know, most are used very responsibly, and I think it doesn't make logistical sense or legal sense to try to pursue a ban of that nature. But interestingly, maybe for you or the audience, I I actually would support, you know, a reclassification of the bump stock to be at least under the NFA, the National Firearms Act, which is making, you know, automatic weapons and suppressors illegal, I would support adding bump stocks into that classification. In this week's, you know, research, I was looking up and the effect is is quite dramatic. I mean, if if you're really training with a weapon, you can become proficient where the difference is negligible, but if you take an average joe who doesn't do any training and I don't think that many of these shooters really care about like training and proficiency, if you, you know, buy a bump stock for your weapon, it basically does convert it to a, a automatic. Somebody did a numerical study and if you just use your finger for semi-automatic, it was like 5 rounds per second. If you used a bump stock, it was up to like 10. So it like doubles the rate and it is basically two thirds as fast as a fully automatic. So to me, I think that that makes sense actually. And I looked up in many states, I think there's like 13 or 17 states right now currently do have some form of a ban on, on bump stocks. So that's good. Just,
0: just so people know and remember bump stocks, it's, it's like this separate thing that you can buy separate from a weapon and it attaches to the weapon, right. And changes how fast basically you can shoot. Yeah. Kind of like you're talking about changing it sort of from like a semi automatic into a more automatic type weapon. And these became a really big deal in the Las Vegas shooting Mm in 2017, the shooter there used a bump stock and that was a shooting where 58 people died and 546 people were injured. It was. And so the, the bump stock became a big part of the conversation particularly after that because of what it can do in terms of you know making a semi-automatic weapon more like an automatic weapon
1: yeah um, thanks for adding that clarification aaron it it basically it uses the recoil of the gun as like leverage against your finger so whenever the gun recoils it springs it back towards your finger so if you just hold your finger steady every time the the gun shoots and recoils with force back towards your body, the bump stock pushes the gun forward into your finger, thereby causing like a very rapid reaction is as best as I can describe it over over audio. So it may be knee jerk of me, but I don't think so. I mean, I I I haven't seen any data that says, well, shootings with bump stocks, you know, have this many more lethalities than shootings without, but it makes it so much like an automatic weapon that I feel like if automatic weapons are under the NFA, then so should bump stocks.
0: I think just to speak to that real quick, yeah. I don't think the I have a list of um, some of the recent mass shootings in the United States, the one in the Orlando nightclub I don't think the person there used a bump stock and I'm not sure how big that group was either but far fewer people were injured. 53 people were injured in that shooting. And in the Las Vegas shooting, it was like 550 people. And some of that could just be crowd size and things like that. Like I'm, you know, it was a big yeah. music festival. So that could definitely have been like the, the factor. Yeah. Um, but it was like, just, I mean, 550 people, that's like, it's 546 to be specific. But like, mm. that's a huge amount of people that could be injured or that were injured from that shooting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I was gonna say. Is it's it's hard to compare Orlando to Las Vegas just because mm-hmm. you know while different there
0: were different circumstances,
1: different circumstances. Yeah. I mean, the guy was you know not only was it a music festival like you mentioned where there were you know hundreds and hundreds of more people, thousands more. He was also in an elevated position and he was in a room where he had like forty something weapons. Like it, it, the situation was was very different. And I'm, mm-hmm. please don't mistake me, like I'm defending this guy because I'm surely not. But no,
0: but maybe not actually a helpful comparison.
1: Yeah, I just I can't I can't say whether or not that if the bump stock was used in Las Vegas, did that contribute to the high numbers that we see? I have no idea. That would be interesting to note. I don't know of anybody that's done that kind of research, but I just think on principle, the fact that it basically makes it semi- or basically takes it semi-automatic and makes it automatic, that should fall under the NFA. One of the things that I, I am undecided on, although I, I I feel like I'm very opposed to. But I'm still evaluating. I mentioned a John Hopkins study that was looking at basically trying to step away from the knee-jerk reaction that we all have after these incidences into, okay, what actually can we do to effective legislation? This was their findings that they said, one side often calls for expanding background checks on private purchasers. And the other side usually calls for fewer restrictions on civilian gun carrying. Our findings indicate that neither of these prescriptions are associated with lower rates of fatal mass shootings. What does appear to work to reduce mass shootings are licensing laws and laws banning large capacity magazines. I thought that was interesting and and it, it does make a certain amount of sense. So pardon my dog if you can hear my little pup in the background. Basically the large capacity magazines is referring to anything more than 10 bullets per magazine. In a logistical sense, if you are trying to do something as awful as a mass shooting and you have to reload your gun, you know, every 10 bullets rather than every 30, if you have a smaller capacity magazine, it means you have to reload more often. It means you're shooting less often. So um, I don't think that that that's, it's hard because there's so many, like, what are you going to do? Are we going to like confiscate? There's probably millions of these things out there. Um, Maybe we prohibit the sale going forward, but I, I don't i don't know at the policy level what that's gonna like how you would implement that but that does seem to be maybe something that would specifically for the mass shooting problem cut down the fatalities it doesn't stop them from doing the mass shooting but maybe it would make them less bad I don't know
0: yeah I think something that i kind of kept seeing we talked about this last time too is that there's just so many, guns in the United States. There's just more guns per capita in the U S than there are in like any other country. And so we have like a, a particular problem because of that. Our gun violence is higher in part, probably largely because we have just so many more guns. This is a hard one. I think for both of us to be unbiased about, like we're coming in with some opinions and like one of my opinions is like, I just, I don't like guns. I don't think that they're like necessary for our society. Right. And like, I would prefer to live in a country where like, we just didn't have guns everywhere, but like, that's not the reality. And I have had to be more aware and realistic about what our reality is. And I just kind of want to throw that out there for people who also feel that way, who feel similarly to me of why can't we just get rid of guns and this is something that like we shouldn't have to deal with other countries don't deal with like let's just get rid of guns like that's just not a workable solution to what we're talking about and so like I understand where that comes from like I really do because I kind of feel that way as well but like we have to put it in a context of like the society that we're operating in and then what's the most effective thing that we can do but you know It's even that to me is a little unsatisfying. So I feel like I just need to say that because I think there are people who probably feel that way. We're operating in the country that we're in, in the culture that we're in, and it's a gun culture. And so, what do we do to address that? I agree with you, Zach, as far as like getting rid of the large capacity magazines. Like, I don't, we don't need that. It does have these effects, right, of like you mentioned with mass shootings, you can kill more people if you have these like large capacity magazines. I'm all for licensing laws. I, knowing you, can guess that you are really not for licensing laws. Um, But something that I looked up when I was thinking about like gun control laws, like what what can we do that is actually going to be effective? And I feel like one of the things that was repeated is it can't just be one thing. We can't just do one thing. And we can't do nothing. And mm-hmm. I think that we have been stuck between, oh, we're trying to get this like one thing, like just universal background checks or just this. And then there's a fight against it because you don't want your rights to be sampled on or stamped on. And we end up doing nothing. And like, mm-hmm. that is a bad, like, so that's not a solution. That's a yeah. bad place to end. And that is where I feel like a lot of this has ended. And maybe if we presented a, dual approach or try approach or whatever, like how many other things that we need to start addressing this problem. And we talk about, you know, what's happening in culture, we put that together with like licensing. We address like the different issues that that mass shootings and also just gun violence touches. We have a more comprehensive legislative package that hopefully people feel a little bit better about because it's actually tackling this sort of wide ranging of issues instead of just the one issue of Like, let's just ban guns, you know, Mm -hmm. and I have some ideas about what I think from based on what I've looked up that could be effective for doing that. One of those is licensing. You know, I saw that came up. That's one of the one of the recommendations from the U.N. international guidelines for all countries, not just the United States. Um, That's something they recommend also found this really interesting study. It's by uh, researchers in Boston who use two different sets of data from the FBI and the CDC. They use FBI and CDC data sets and they were able to confirm that the biggest issue is not like necessarily the types of guns that we ban it's who has the guns, mm-hmm. which is not super surprising but we controlling who actually has access to weapons, is like one of the biggest ways that we can decrease gun violence. And so sure. they found that there's a few policies, and they, they did this analysis by checking the gun control laws in different states. They looked at different states and then tracked that against their crime statistics and mm-hmm. used the same analysis across states and then across using different data sets. And it revealed that universal background checks, permit requirements, may issue laws, which I had not heard of. It's where local authorities have the discretion to approve people to carry concealed weapons. And laws banning people convicted of violent misdemeanors from possessing firearms are the most effective at reducing gun-related deaths. And they have a lot of, there's a lot of information here about that. I found that really interesting because they're actually, and we sort of mentioned this before, there hasn't been tons and tons of research about, what kinds of measures we can take that will Mm -hmm. that will be effective. And one of the reasons for that is that we banned funding that research at the federal level for a long time because of the Dickey Amendment. And then very few states fund gun research. And so a lot of the gun research that Zach and I have found that we're looking into it's from you know academic institutions or like private groups that are doing this research. We don't have government funded research for this. In fact, there's only three states that fund Research into um, gun violence. It's New Jersey, California, and Washington. Um, the CDC is doing some more research than it used to. We still have certain bans on this. Like, let's fund research that we can know what's going to be the most effective. Like, that is something that could be part of this sort of like legislative package to start addressing gun control. I have some more things, but I want to give you know you guys a chance to respond if you want to say anything.
1: A couple things. So. I, I wanted to state outright why I don't, you know, because I don't think I really ever said why, just quickly, why I don't support like an assault weapons ban. Because basically, the ban that was in place from 94 to 2004 was not effective. It, it didn't seem to have any statistical impact in reducing crime. There's a, a quote from um, Christopher Copper, a former Pennsylvania, um, University of Pennsylvania researcher and current George Mason University criminology professor saying that the assault weapons were used in only a small fraction of gun crimes prior to the ban, about 2%, um, and no more than 8%. Most of these weapons were assault pistols rather than assault rifles. He was skeptical and said, should it be renewed, the ban's effects on gun violence are likely to be small at best and perhaps too small for reliable measurement. So I think the reason why I'm opposed, you know, kind of just in general is, I am not in favor of making criminals out of, you know, the billions of people in the country that do possess these items legally and lawfully, um, and are responsible with them to curtail what is a very very small percentage of the people that are using these these items in an illegal way. Um, so that's that's my my principle there. But to to respond, I guess to your your thing, I do think it's interesting that the state by state, you know, I think that that's maybe the biggest area of kind of untapped potential in terms of of data about guns because it is you know, the, the experiment of freedom, you know, and democracy happening, you know, in real time, it's hard because I, again, I think that there's cultural factors involved because um, one of the examples I found was Vermont. Vermont has the lowest incarceration rates in the U.S. and has had the lowest levels of murders in the United States as well. In 2012, there were eight murders in the state of Vermont. Like I know where I'm going to move to. Anyway, and then it says, basically, if, if you're anticipating that the level of gun ownership has a correspondence to the level of murders, Vermont has virtually no gun laws. About three-quarters of all Vermonters, which they need to change that, own firearms. So it seems like that there's not a, a pure statistical correlation between the number of guns owned compared to the number of gun murders. But maybe we can dig into that nugget deeper and say, well, what are what are the gun laws that Vermont does have in place? Are they the measures that you were suggesting earlier? You know, is it licensing? Is it, you know, background checks? Like, what are those measures? And are those super effective? And that's why they only have eight murders? Or is it something else? Like, I don't know.
0: So interesting. That's, I think that's a good point to keep in mind. Like, there are different cultures between states. I want to give an overall statistic from this study that I found very compelling. The average firearm homicide rate in states without background checks specifically is 58% higher than the average of states that do have background checks. And in 2017, there's only 13 states that have universal background check laws as of right now.
1: Wait, sorry. There's only, oh, there's only 13 states that require
0: universal background checks.
1: Oh, for all. So that's for all Mm -hmm. purchases for everyone,
0: Uh, for all purchases, commercial buying mm
1: -hmm. from a dealer or.
0: Or private purchase, mm-hmm. okay. universal background checks. Um, but to your point about the, the culture of different states, it was interesting because one of the things this, this study found, because they analyzed the different kinds of gun control laws, was that in highly urban areas, the universal background check was the most effective method. But in rural areas, the um, violent crimes was the most effective method of driving down gun homicides or gun deaths just in general, which I thought that was super interesting. So and they were they did violent crimes, including misdemeanors and felonies. And sorry, um, I think I, I'm not sure, you know, it maybe it's more like gang violence in cities or something. There's, you know, some some states don't have like, if you have like, domestic violence on your record, like that's not enough to prevent you from getting a firearm, you know, like there's there's some things like that, and I think this also just kind of shows the necessity of actually having federal laws on this and not this state by state patchwork of laws. Mm. Um, well, I mean, one of the issues is also that states who have stronger gun control laws, their laws are undermined by states that don't because you can go to a state that doesn't have as strong of laws, purchase a weapon, maybe because you don't have to get a background check and then use it. That, I mean, that happened at the I- shooting in Gilroy in California. the shooter purchased the 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 firearm from nevada
1: but i don't think that that so that that might have been an illegal purchase then because like i as a californian can't go in i mean i could go and buy a gun in nevada but i can't buy the i can't buy a gun that's illegal in california in nevada does that make sense so like no so california is one of the states that has a very high levels of gun laws uh, we restrict certain things. We have like a, I think California has a list, and so if you're a firearm manufacturer, you have to submit your firearm to California's DOJ for them to approve to say you can sell this gun in our state. If your gun isn't on the list, you can't buy the gun in California. And so, um, like when I go, I've been to the Cabela's outside of Reno, and basically they have signage saying like if you live in California, like here's all the guns you can't buy, basically, and even if you do buy you still have to go through California's like waiting period. You can't just buy in, walk into the store, buy a gun and walk out. You still have to abide by California's laws if you're purchasing a gun, like because you have to show your driver's license. And so if they see a California driver's license, they're not going to sell you a gun that's illegal to you in your state.
0: Well, so yeah, maybe that's, I don't know the the specific situation with this guy. I know he bought the gun in Nevada. Maybe he purchased it illegally in Nevada. Mm -hmm. But I think that the, the point is still the same, you know. In that, if you have a different patchwork of laws across all the states, you you do end up undermining some of the gun control laws of the states that are stronger.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I think that that's true. Probably for everything, I agree with that. Right. Um, but I'm befuddled that some states don't require uh, a background check. Or um, because I thought that, I thought that was one of the things that federally is required where all states do have, or all commercial gun purchases have to have a background check.
0: So I think we talked about this and I have to find my notes from, from the last time. That was one of the aspects I think of the, the law, the, the older law that the Supreme Court invalidated as being, I think, unconstitutional. Mm. Um, and it was because the, yeah. Okay. So this is part of the Brady um, Handgun Violence Provision Act, required local law enforcement to conduct background checks on purchasers. And in Mm -hmm. Prince versus United States, it said the federal government cannot require states to run background checks. So states can do it, Hmm. but the federal government can't require them to do it.
1: Require it. I see. Yeah.
0: And so many states do do it. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, right. And and some don't do it universally, but they have some aspect of that, but it's not a federal requirement at this
1: point. Mm-hmm. I think having a background check makes sense. I don't see, because I, I, to be honest, I thought that was kind of the, the norm. And I think especially, I think I said this in the first one too. So if I'm repeating myself, you know, audience, please forgive me. But I think if you're buying from a commercial seller, um, you should have a background check, make sure you're not anything that invalidates you. And I think that um, if you do have some kind of criminal record, particularly violent, I wouldn't, like we talked about in our drug episode, this is how many times can we reference the drugs episode in a row now. But like, if you have a nonviolent marijuana offense, I don't think that that should disqualify you. But I think if you have any kind of violent crime, federal um, felony or misdemeanor, no, you you're disqualified as well. Like, I, I think that those make sense to me.
0: Totally. And I agree. But those are they feel like things that shouldn't be super controversial. And yet they they really are on a federal level, like yeah. universal background checks, the the crime, not being allowed to purchase with a crime. Like those are two things that I would love to see. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I would really like to see is more required training for permitting and licensing. I think that there's some states require a lot. Some states don't require very much. And one of the arguments for people having firearms, one of the biggest ones that I didn't know about really before this is just personal protection. That's like mm-hmm. what a lot of people want guns for. Yeah. There's a lot of criticism that I think is totally fair that you're just not prepared as a layperson to be in a like high stress, violent situation where someone else has a gun and react appropriately with your weapon. I like that is pops spend hours training on this every year and they still get it wrong sometimes. Like it is a very difficult thing to do correctly. And if you want a concealed carry permit or just, you know, you want to be having your gun with you in public, like I really do think your training requirements need to be fairly extensive and also consistent. I mean, we require CPR every like three years or something, you know, and that's, this is something that it's like, you're, you're holding something that can kill another person. And I think that I would prefer yes. you weren't even allowed to do that. But if you are, you got to be able to do it responsibly.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, Aaron, because so first of all, I agree. I think that as you know, being a gun owner, you should train with your weapon. I think that's flat out. You should, if it on whatever you own, you should train it that you should be proficient with, that you should know how to use it in the light, in the dark. It, it should be absolutely. You mentioned concealed carry. That's a big one. So at least in California, again, I can't speak to the nation, but, um, you mentioned and earlier, you mentioned may issue. So states get to choose what, how strict their concealed carry um, requirements are. Some states are no issue. Some states are may and some states are shall issue. Yeah.
0: I just, I have a couple statistics on this that I think would be helpful. So oh, okay. I have, there's 12 states who allow concealed carry without any license or permit. And there's 30 states who allow open carry, which is, it doesn't have to be concealed without a license or permit. So just to set the stage on that.
1: The shall issue is I think I have it backwards. Shall is we're gonna give it to you. May issue is we're gonna evaluate you first to see. And I think I, I told this in the first episode, California, at least the county, it's it's often county by county. The county I lived in was May issue, and it was like I already had to have been beaten, robbed, left for dead. Um, the police been 72 hours away, like the requirements were stupid high for me to, to qualify. But so one of the interesting things is if you Carry a weapon that you own legally, say so you bought the gun legally, let's say handgun, because it's like dumb to conceal a rifle. <laughs> um, you buy a handgun legally, you know, you're clear to go, and then you bring it with you in public, you know, in your jacket or in your purse or whatever, and you don't have a concealed carry license, that's against the law. So, right off the bat, like that is breaking the law. And I know in California, you do have to undergo a class, you know, like a 40 hour or something like that, 30s to something, I don't remember the hours, but you have to go undergo a class, a lecture to conceal. And then you also have to pass a proficiency test um, at a range, you know, a, a like county certified range to to concealed carry in California. So I know that that is something that we do require if you're gonna bring your gun outside your home. And so if you're in your house, I still think you should train with your gun and you should know, you, know, you should practice clearing your house with your gun, you know, going room to room to make sure that you know, like how to move around your house with your gun. So you don't fall down and shoot, you know, a pet or a loved one or something like that. Like you're doing it in the dark or gentleman's high. Like you should be very comfortable with that. So I agree with you. I don't know how I feel about like requiring it because then maybe there's there's a lot of, of questions to be answered there. But um, I do think you should know how to use your gun. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think an important and to that, yes, you need to know how to use it. You also need to know how to conduct yourself in like a, a highly stressful situation where there could be, violence and that's where I think that the training is particularly important right like it's shooting at a range is different than being in like a dark alley somewhere right and I mean like police go through uh simulations of this kind of thing like I I don't know exactly like what would be the most helpful right someone who knows more about guns and what it's like to be in those situations would know but I would think that even something like that could be really helpful if you are going to carry your gun in public
2: Hey, I have a question. So this all sounds really utopian. Uh, It would be awesome if people had the proper training on everything they were ever supposed to do. Driving, lots of people, you have to pass a test one time, but you don't have to keep up with it. And yes, you get ticketed, but um, oftentimes those are not things that (laughs) I'm wondering what what would you consider that feels like a decent correlation to me you ask people to practice in the dark and do their dry runs and and brush up on gun safety i'm not sure that that's something we could monitor until it's too late i think we could i think that's
0: like totally doable if we wanted to do it and keep in mind this isn't this wouldn't be required for every single gun purchase it'd be for if you wanted to carry your gun in public so I don't, you know, I think that's, I think it's totally doable if you wanted to do it.
1: We can't afford to, like, literally there's not enough people to do it, like to send people into your house to make sure that you're practicing your reloads correctly or anything like that. Like it's, it's that's not feasible, but I mean, there could be a test and you, maybe you take the test every five years or something like that. Like maybe that's.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about sending someone into your house. If you, right. I mean, if you have your gun at your house, like, yeah, you should you should be comfortable using it. I think it'd be great if you had someone training you on how to like actually protect your house and not like injure other people. I agree. That's probably not feasible, but like, if you're going to carry it out into the world, you know?
1: Yeah. Right. And and that's the thing that's like, I've seen statistics because typically people that are like concealed carry permit holders, like they are people that follow the rules. Like they, they're not the people that are doing mass shootings. Like they're, um, I've, I've seen one study that said that concealed carry permit holders have a lower crime rate per capita than like police officers too. Um, so like, those are the people that if you're going to go and pursue getting your concealed carry permit, like as a, as a group, they're very law abiding people. And those are the kinds of people that are going to follow up on their training and they enjoy exactly. shooting. And it's kind of like a self-selection. We're talking about the good guys, <laughs> you know, in this case, the people that are out there to defend themselves rather than where we kind of started, which is on the mass murderer, You know, those who wish to do evil and, and that's where it gets difficult because all the licensing and the registering and the magazine, you know, restrictions and the gun restrictions, like you're always going to have the law abiding people following those rules. It's the fact that the criminals are not following the rules and doing the bad things, despite the law that are causing the murder. So it's like, that's the problem, right? Is, is how do we solve the mass murder problem? with the appropriate measure of gun legislation, in addition to fill in the blank, I don't know, but some of the things that we kind of talked about.
0: Yes, totally. I I agree with that. Generally, if you, I think that it's true that you know, the people who are obeying the laws generally are going to obey the laws, especially if you're talking about people who are going to do like all the permitting necessary for carry. Although keep in mind, you don't have to do that in a bunch of states. Like not every state requires that. And I think that's like really ultimately the issue is that there could be people totally obeying the law because the law is very lenient when it comes to guns. Like you don't have to do a background check when you're getting from a private seller or you don't, you have a violent misdemeanor and mm-hmm. that's, you can, you're still able to purchase a gun, right? Like you're still obeying the law, but the law is not actually like preventing those people from getting guns. So when you're talking about like the training and everything, I mentioned it cause I thought it was, I think it's interesting. I yeah. think it's an interesting concept, but I view that as de- like secondary to these initial measures of mm-hmm. just the people, you know, who like shouldn't have guns, like shouldn't get guns. Like how do we prevent that? And I think that's like sort of the threshold question.
1: Right. Yeah. And I don't know, because I mean, as as much as, you know, it would be ideal to to say, great, we're going to like keep track of every single gun in the country and who has it and 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 all that, you know, I think criminals are always going to find ways to to get their hands on guns. And that that sucks. It's the balance of like making the laws in a way that is like having the most effect without harming anybody, unfortunately, because pandora's box has already been opened regarding guns like everybody has something right so if you make a law like you're gonna be restricting somebody who is obeying it i don't i don't know how you i don't know how you fix that honestly besides uh you know making sure that you have background checks okay fine you know but if you don't want to get a gun then you break into somebody's house and you steal a gun you know like it's
0: yeah i mean sure but like we kind of talked about there are studies of at least some of these laws having some level of effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And so sure, like, yeah, there's going to be crime, no matter what kind of crime you're talking about, gun or otherwise, having the laws in place is still going to help. Like it, it, I think it's a little defeatist to think like, oh, the law doesn't make any difference. Like laws do make a difference.
1: For sure. I'm, I'm not saying they don't make a difference, but for example, like there's H.R. 127. And it basically, it says it would establish a publicly searchable gun registry containing your private information, require you to petition, to petition any anti-gun attorney general for a license to possess firearms and ammunition, and force you to obtain firearms insurance from the federal government at a cost of $800 per year, ban numerous rifles, AR pistols, shotguns, 50 caliber or greater ammunition, and any magazine with a capacity of over 10 rounds. And uh, slap gunners with a mandatory minimum prison sentence and fines for violations of the legislation. That's a lot of really, I think, heavy-handed proposals to help combat this thing on you know on the auspices of helping. But um, you know, a publicly searchable gun registry, like not only is that a you know that's like a severe I think Fourth Amendment violation. A license to possess firearms and ammunition, depending on what the license is, you know, is that just a, a firearm safety certificate from the state? is it, it sounds like it would be tied into the registry. So you would be searchable by wh- how many guns you own and what what rifles are they banning? You know, we're talking about, I think, and I think, honestly, I'm surprised we're talking about a lot of things that we agree on in terms of legislation here. But unfortunately, that's not what is being proposed. Like being proposed is, would incriminate you know millions of Americans overnight if, if it were to pass.
0: Right. But that would also, they would they would have to take into account some if it would have retroactive effect most laws don't some do and if we pass like universal background checks now there's going to be some people who own guns who didn't get a background check and like there's not a lot you can do about like that person but should they go to purchase another gun or should they pass their gun on to their child or whatever like that next person who has it We'll get a background check like there it's still it it will take some implementation but it still has effectiveness over time there's certainly still reasons to pursue these these avenues that legislation is interesting i've not heard about that before there's parts of it that don't bother me at all like licensing for ammunition that makes sense to me i think we should do that i think that having a registry of guns also makes sense to me i do not think that it should be public there's problems with that. Like even if you are, I mean, we're talking about people breaking into other people's houses to steal weapons. Like that seems really dangerous to me. Like why I don't know that we need to publicize like who has guns or how many guns. That seems to set up issues. But the the government, the police having access to something like that, I think could be helpful. Um, I, I think you probably disagree with that. But like there's aspects of that that make sense to me. I think the issue, which we talked about is that This is not like a middleman issue. Mm -hmm. People come at it from like the very extremes and trying to pull them to the middle is difficult. Yeah. I did find one thing that I wanted to mention before we like wrap up about another way to combat gun violence. This was super interesting. It's from a New York Times article and it was talking about doing investments in communities where there is high gun violence. And instead of, like going in and trying to like take away guns, like going in and trying to change the communities. They've done it in a few places, but one of the places, this is a partnership with Pennsylvania Horticulture Society. And they did this in a neighborhood in Philadelphia. They greened the neighborhood, which means that they went in and like planted a bunch of trees Mm -hmm. and like plants and stuff. And they did trash cleanup, like literally these two things. And gun violence went down significantly the steepest drop in climb, which was crime, which was crime in general, up to 29% was in the several blocks surrounding the vacant lots in the neighborhood whose residents live below the poverty line. Like this feels wow. like an obvious thing to do, but we're not also focusing on those kinds of solutions. And that's like so great to me. Yeah. And I wanted to mention one other thing about that is um, they've done calculations on, because this is, they've done sort of these like projects in different cities different states on like a, a pretty small scale they've mm-hmm. done some research on how effective they've been in terms of like the financial benefits because we don't even think about this but gun violence has sure. a financial cost it's cost and, uh medical expenses policing incarceration rates like all of those things and they found that doing these sort of greening trash cleanup investments in these neighborhoods for every dollar that was invested society saves up to $333 that would have gone to medical expenses policing and incarceration that is cr- like a crazy great statistic right yeah. and it totally has changed my perspective on like what we could do as well like that's a that's a financial increase and that's also like a decrease in crime this the win-win, is, this yeah. feels like such a good solution to me
1: you're getting a 300% return on your money yeah. right and while saving people's lives and, and
0: yeah, hopefully yeah. improving people's lives.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me that that speaks to the solution kind of that I was talking about, you know, brought up in the beginning is it's it's cultural, it's societal. It's not it's not the gun that's the problem. It's we live in a society where if you're surrounded by literal garbage and dirt lots and there's no economy, there's no future for you, there's no business, there's no, you know, place for you to go after school. It, it, your society itself, you know, around you is bad. And so you're manifesting, you know, it's a little hoity toity, but you're manifesting the surroundings that you're living in. So if you show people that they have something to live for and that their society is good and that there's, you know, benefits out there. Like, I think that that's, it sounds pie in the sky, but I don't think it is. I think it, it speaks to us on a much deeper psychological level than just, Oh, we planted some trees. I think that it, it has severe payoffs. And that's interesting. I didn't hear about that, but I, I love that. I think that that sounds really cool.
0: Yeah, I'll send this to you. It's This is an interesting kind of to this point for just as a caveat, I do think that guns are part of this just because of the nature of like how they can more quickly kill people than other kinds of weapons. But, you know, that aside. Honoring people's personhood, like recognizing who they are as people, like, and the respect and dignity that we all deserve, that is really what makes people flourish and thrive. And one of the people who lived in one of these neighborhoods that they did this sort of like work on, he said in the neighborhood before before they did work on it, it makes me feel not important. Like, I think your surroundings, your environment, it affects your mood. It affects your train of thought, your thought process, your emotions. And seeing vacant lots and abandoned buildings, to me, that's a sign of neglect. So I feel neglected. It's just so emblematic of, like, what these communities face, you know? And we talked about, we're talking about mass shootings. Like, I want to address that, but also, like, we talked about before the most of the gun deaths are homicides and suicides and we can address a lot of that if we're investing in these communities where violence in general is just higher and we don't we don't take the time to do it as a society as nearly as much as we should
1: look at some of the cities that have the highest you know murder rates in the country washington dc baltimore chicago detroit like these are huge urban populations that are well past their prime like they're they don't get the attention that they once had like those are those are you know some of the biggest murder capitals in the country and the surroundings are like you can you can draw a lot of parallels between those and and i think that that is not a coincidence
0: so yeah in terms of the the package of gun control when we we talk about gun control you know we think bans and and registration and all of that and uh, maybe some of that is effective but like this society building type work is also something that I think we should really be considering when we start talking about this.
1: Well, and the, and mental health, honestly, I mean beyond beyond the mental health aspect that you you know brought up from that quote that you read, the Parkland school shooter. Go to the Wikipedia page and read about about that and how many times the Broward County Sheriff's were called because he had written about how he was going to bring a gun to school and he was going to kill all of his classmates and all these things like there were warning signs for the Parkland shooting months before that tragedy unfolded months before. Like we need to have, I think as a country, we need to have better facilities, infrastructure, programs. Like, I don't know what you're going to call it, but we need to have better for like mental illness because a lot of the shooters in this country are suffering from some form or another of mental illness, whether it's depression or the Santa Barbara guy that you mentioned, Aaron, where he's has this weird twisted... You know, women are evil, kind of, or the the recent ones in Georgia this last year, like whatever it is, like there we need to have better support for that. I think it's unbecoming of us to just let the people that are distraught in our society just flounder.
0: Yes, I definitely agree. Uh, Good news is that we have made progress in that area. We're a lot better with mental health than we used to be, but it's certainly an area that we still need to focus on. But I think even that speaks to it can't just be just be universal background checks and licensing it I think it should be that but it should also be these other things and I think we get into a binary of it's just mental health or it's just gun control law you know and Mm -hmm. we need a more holistic solution here and I think that that is available to us we actually have tools to be able to do that we just need to start talking about bringing in these other pieces when we're tra- when we're trying to dr- address this problem.
1: Yeah. I think it's a cocktail of things. You know, I don't, I don't know that, that I'm going to, that we're probably going to agree on all the gun control measures that we would like to see as a part of that, you know, cocktail, but um, you know, what about reinforcing schools, you know, making schools safer? Um, uh,
0: yeah. There's a lot of like,
1: and I'm, that- not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not even talking about like Arming teachers, like I'm just talking about, like I've I've seen I've seen um, a study that was done by the Secret Service, who have like a vested interest in securing buildings, right? Like, that's their p- profession, and they were talking about like making sure that they have you know schools can institute like <laughs> I just thought in the Friends episode, Phoebe gets like locked in the like little jail in the diamond in the jewelry store, like seal off you know sealable or lockable like hallways and things. So if there's you know you detect a threat who's walking in the main hall of the building you like seal off that hall or something like i think that there's there's lots of things that can be done and it's not just oh make sure it's gun control i think that that's it's a aspect of it but one of many
0: yes but an aspect of it yeah for sure <laughs> yeah you know i, I don't want to get lost in in that um either cuz i think that there are like practical measures that are going to make a difference but now i'm just repeating myself um in terms of like the gun control stuff cuz i i do like think that needs to happen as well But um, yeah, I don't, did you have other, you said you had 20 tabs open. Did you have other things that you wanted to talk about?
1: I feel like we covered a lot of the good stuff today.
2: Cass, are you around? Oh, I'm around. Thank you very much everybody for listening. And thank you, Zach and Erin, as always for fleshing out a topic to the best of your ability. I know that that is one where there's a lot to hit. We say it about a million times each episode, but we're not experts in, I mean, Aaron's a law expert, but but everything else is just (laughs) us doing our best to have hard conversations. And we hope you enjoy and let us know what else you'd like to talk about in the future. Thanks Cass. Goodbye.
1: Thank you for listening to the reframers pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, Please rate and review us five stars and subscribe so you can always catch our latest episode.
0: You can also find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod, And you can email us at reframerspod at gmail.com.